great word in worship. Man, we can just be still. Just be still. Know that He is God. I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. As you know, uh, growing up with two brothers, uh, if you grew up with siblings, whether it was one or eight, uh, when you get in the midst of wintertime and it's cold, the house shrinks. You can only build so many tent forts and things that you can create and play board games till the cabin fever gets the best of you. And being cooped up in that time, well, with three boys, it usually ended in a fight. And it was usually over something we never could remember we were fighting about. We just fought because it was convenient. We were in very close quarters and things weren't going our way or someone got on our nerves or someone touched somebody and so it was on. I was told one time by an old timer while we were working, he said, work with me, not against me. Laugh with me, not against me. Fight with me, not against me. Sometimes in our lives, in our personal lives, in church life, we grow together and we do great things. And don't, there's no mistaking that my brothers and I loved each other. And though we may fight in that living room or whatever and it would spill out. But once we walked outside that house, we defended each other to the bitter end, no matter what. Now, little brother usually would pick a fight, knowing his bigger brothers would take care of it. But we took care of it nonetheless. In our lives today, we've become cooped up by politics, by agendas, by social media, by all the things that is confining the church of God. And so we turn on each other. And so often we will begin to fight amongst ourselves rather than fighting with each other. I want to encourage you today, looking forward out into 2018 and until the Lord Jesus comes back, that in the face of adversity and in the face of such tremendous opposition against the body of Christ, we must draw the line in the sand, stand up, be counted, and declare, we will fight. We will fight. I told you about the movie I watched the other day on Winston Churchill and the significance, not just of the man, but of the country that decided no matter what happens, they would fight. Fight to the bitter end. Just recently, Jim Caviezel, 
the actor who played Jesus Christ in the movie The Passion, who is playing Luke in the movie The Apostle Paul, made this statement to a student leadership summit in Chicago. And this is just a very small excerpt. He said, our society's destructive tolerance of evil requires warriors ready to risk their reputations, their names, even our very lives to stand for the truth. We need warriors. King David had warriors. And in this context in 1 Chronicles 11 and found over mirroring it in 2 Samuel, we see a list of mighty men. We see three, and then we see three, and then we see two, and then we see 30. But I want to just speak to you about the first three men today. He said in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, starting in verse 10, these are are all, these also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Now I want you to notice some things with me today. It said these strengthened themselves with him, David, in his kingdom. Now, we understand the ramifications of that, right? That God anointed a king named Saul because the people wanted him. But when they realized the mess that they had gotten themselves into and Saul had disobeyed God and the anointing had been removed, God anointed the most unsuspecting person, the youngest, Jesse. The last in the line, who passing by the prophet, it was declared, he's the man. Why is that? We need only to look to Matthew chapter 1 and throughout all the old covenant to find, and all through prophecy, that Jesus is called the son of David. That it comes through the lineage of David. David is the picture, the type and shadow of the reigning Messiah, the reigning Lord and King Jesus. And so they strengthened themselves with David in his kingdom and with all Israel. May I ask you, are we strengthening strengthening ourselves with Jesus or against him? Are we building up Our defenses against the world without the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we seeking to answer the world with the world? Are we seeking to go against the world with worldly devices? Are we standing with Jesus using the sword of the Spirit and the weapons that God has given us? said he they strengthened themselves with him in the kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord. Let me ask you, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the word of the living God? Then we must go back to the word and we must entrench ourselves. We must immerse ourselves to see what 
does God want in our lives? And I'm not talking about this broadcast will for our lives, but what does God want for me? Someone asked me that this week. So what does God want in your life? Not in the church's life, not in the life of Evans County, not in the life of South Georgia or even the United States. What does God want in my life? First, you notice something about these guys. They were united in preparation. They worked together to prepare for what was inevitable. Can I share a little secret with you today? If you stand for God, the world's going to stand against you. Just know that. You can't get around it. You can't dodge it. You can't ignore it. So what can you do? We can unite ourselves in preparation. Unite ourselves in preparation. That means praying together, studying together, working together, fellowshipping together, encouraging one another in ministry together. Together! Young people! Together in your youth group. Parents together in your small groups. Couples together as husband and wife. Children together as the family that God has ordained. Church united together in preparation to fight. We will fight. They were undivided in the fight. It says they joined themselves and strengthened themselves Together with the king. We must always realize that none of us. I know, listen. Sometimes I feel like I'm out front on an island. That I am this scout that's been left alone all by his lonesome. And that I'm having to do do it all. Or, or I'm having to be the one uh, to be the sacrificial lamb. And then God always has this terrible habit of reminding me that's exactly what Elijah said when he felt sorry for himself. God, do you not know I, I'm out here by myself? I'm trying to do all this, and you're going to let Jezebel just run rampant. You're, you're going to let her take my life? This coming from a man who's already prayed that God would kill him? Isn't it odd how our own actions and our words don't always mesh. God said, Elijah's son, I've got 7,000, not seven, not 70, not 700. I've got 7,000 men just like you that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Ryan and Kara and Becky and I went and had Supper with several other pastors and wives from the Titan Evans Association uh, this past week. And we sat and talked amongst ourselves and with others. And they're fighting the good fight. They're fighting it in Reedsville and Glenville and Collins and Cobbtown. All over this area in Tattnall and in Evans. I spoke with Harris this week. He's fighting the good fight as a Georgia State missionary for middle Georgia. I spoke uh, with several others from the Georgia Baptist 
mission board it was in Jessup this week and in North Georgia and all over the state of Georgia. I read uh, oftentimes in emails and stuff from missionaries serving around the globe. Listen, we need to understand we're undivided in the fight. That does not mean we're always going to agree on everything. Just not. Just not. Believe it or not, Becky and I don't agree on everything. Say, well, she, you know, when it comes to ball stuff, listen, you know what Becky's prayer is come September, end of August? That they would all lose and get mad and quit. And we wouldn't have to watch ball anymore. She don't care. She does not care. You know when the big game. It, I think more will watch it than the Super Bowl. If they gain sense they will. My wife's watching some kind of. I don't know. Hallmark something or another. I'm like really the greatest ball game ever played. And you're she said, yeah, what's the point of watching that stuff? They're just going to play again later, ain't they? She's got a point. She said, I don't have to think with this. I can just sit and just watch. We don't always agree. But you know what? When it comes to the stuff that matters, we've got to be undivided into five. They were unified for the cause. Joining ranks. Getting... Personal agendas aside, everything was for the cause of the king and the kingdom. Listen, are we doing what we're doing for the cause of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is it about him or is it about us? Do we sing for him or we sing for us? Do we preach for him or we preach for us? What are we doing and why are we doing it? Is it about him or is it about us? These guys said... No matter what, we're going to make it about him. It's going to be about him. So I want to share with you for just a minute about these three guys that we find in this context. The first one we read about here in verse 11, and this is the number of the mighty men whom David had, Jeshabim, a Hackmanite, and his name is different in 2 Samuel and he's got three or four different names but the same person. He was chief of the captains and he lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. Now 2 Samuel reads that he slew 800 at one time. We are not real sure about whether this is two different instances or the fact that it's drawing a picture of what all happened at this time. But it's not contradicting each other. It's looking at the perspective, the same thing from different perspectives. But what we absolutely do know is that this mighty warrior fought by doing the improbable. Doing the improbable. Notice again, it says that he lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. Seems awful improbable, doesn't it? Who does that remind you of in the Bible? That would do something so improbable. Who? 
All right, who, who else? Who? Samson, that's who I was thinking of. That he did something pretty improbable, didn't he? He took the jawbone of an ass, right? Killed hundreds, right? He didn't have a Gatling gun. He didn't have an AR platform. He didn't have a thermal night vision scope. He took a bone from a donkey and beat the enemy to death. Say, preacher, that's, that's just too hard. I'm going to tell you, if that's too hard, you hadn't watched TV or cartoons or listened to anything lately. What I want you to see out of that gruesome picture is Satan's nasty. Satan is vicious. And it, listen, there was a British general during World War II. It says, we must teach our boys to hate. For that which they hate, they will fight. Now, I don't mean hating people. I'm talking about hating Satan and everything about Satan. Because I've told you this, and I'll tell you again. He hates you. I don't know about you, but that does something to me. Because I like people to like me. I really do. And if I feel like somebody don't like me, it crushes me. I'm just being transparent with you. It, just, it rocks my world. I, I can't, I, I, it, it makes me physically sick that I've upset or someone just doesn't like me because they don't like me. I'm getting a little bit easier with it. When, by the time I get 80, 85, I'll probably be able to deal with it. But it, it just, it rocks my world. And so the idea of that whole, and I had such a, 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 a mother who taught us to love and not hate. We weren't, able, we weren't allowed to use the word hate. That was just as bad a four-letter word as anything else out there. But then reading that scripture, I come across uh, where he tells us to hate evil, to cling to that which is good, to understand that Satan is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, that he is choosing you to have that he may sift his wheat Satan hates you. Look at your family member. Look at your precious son and daughter here today. Look at your parents. Look at your brother and sister. Your fellow believer in your Sunday school class. Look at them through the eyes of knowing Satan is doing everything in his power to kill them and wreck their lives. He wants to wreck our marriage. He wants to wreck our family. He wants to wreck our country. He wants to wreck the world. But church, listen to me. We must realize we are going to have to do the improbable by hating evil and doing that which is good. Listen, I am only one man. That could have been his excuse, period. I'm only one man. What am I going to do by going to the choir? I'm just one woman. What am I going to do? What am I going to do in the youth? I'm just one. They're not going to miss me if I don't come. What if 50 say that? What if 50 different people? I think I counted 22 in the choir. What if 21 said that this morning? I'm just one. They're not going to miss me. We'd have had a solo besides rhymes. I am only one person, but I am one. I am one. This man said, I am only one man, but I'm one. You see, there was not a vacancy on that battlefield because he stepped up and took his spear and he said, I am one with the king. I am one with the kingdom. I am one with the Lord. I'm one. 
And I will do what this one can do. You may not be able to preach to millions at one time. You may never, never able, ever ascend the steps and preach behind a pulpit. You may never sing a solo, but I can promise you, if you operate as the one God has called you to be, you will change the world. You will. Doing the improbable. He did that which was unusual. I mean, where was, where was the bow and where was the arrows and where was all the other stuff? Where was the plan? I don't know, but he didn't wait to figure it out. You remember when Goliath was down in the Valley of Elah? Remember that? They're all up on the hilltop. Now, isn't it funny? They always teach the military that you want to capture the high ground. You got the high ground? Well, you know what? The giant went down in the valley, looked up at the high ground, and mocked them and said, You've got the advantage, and I am still going to beat you. And he scared them to death. Scared them to death. You never go down to them. You make them come up. Because, listen, it's dangerous when you come up. And so, doing the unusual, David said, what is y'all's problem? Well, there's a giant down there. Yeah, what's your point? Yeah, but, but, but he's a Philistine. Yeah, so what? But he's one of the sons of Gad. Yeah, so what? Well, but he's down in the valley. We don't, so what? You ain't going to go? I'm going to go. Well, here's, here, here, go for me and put on my arm. No, 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 that won't work. It's unproven. It's not what God wants. Reached down and took him some stones. Walked down in there just swinging his whip. Not in an arrogant way, but in an unusual way of what the giant mocked him. and said, what in the world? Y'all are so desperate, that's what you're going to send against me? He said, you may come with spear, you may come with size, you may come with all that, but I come in the name of the Lord. And he took that little stone, something that we probably taught our kids as the most unusual fact and miracle of the Bible. I mean, any kid that spends any time in church more than uh, uh, just a little while is going to know about David and Goliath. And how he took that stone, he began to swing it, began to swing it. And when he turned it loose, he had a whole lot more confidence where that stone was going and Matt Ryan did when he threw that football yesterday. He didn't miss. And the giant fell. Because he was not afraid to fight in an unusual way. Church, we're not tied to the ways of old. The, the, the methods change. They just change. They change. But the message stays the same. Right? Right? I mean, look. We've moved, in the Baptist church, we've moved the pulpit to the center. Most other Protestant churches, it's set off to the side. There was a time where they didn't believe Sunday school was of the Lord. But we believe teaching the word of God is just as valuable. That we need to be discipled and grow. The melodies of our song change, but as long as that word stays the same, Jesus Christ 
Lord and King, we must be willing to do the unusual. This warrior did the unpopular. He tells us that he was chief of the captains. Chief of the captains. You know what he did? He led from out front, not from behind. He did that which was unpopular. All, no doubt, all of his uh, uh, underlings, all of those men around him who, who were under his command said, No, no, you're our commander. If you fall in battle, then what are we going to do? How more that very famous army hero who was betrayed in the movie, We Were Soldiers Once, in real life, before they ever landed at Landing Zone X-Ray, told his men, I'll be the first one on that battlefield and I'll be the last, one way or the other. And I'll leave no man behind. I've heard it say before that the Christian army is the only group of soldiers who kill their own wounded. We see someone who's caught up in a sin or something, and we get around, we stand around after church, we have coffee over it, we meet after Wednesday night or sometime during the week, and we rehash what's going on in their life rather than getting on our knees and praying for them. Listen, we've got to lead from out front. Not out back point and say, you need to go do that. You need to go do that. And oh, if y'all young people would go do this. Listen, we've got to do that which is unpopular. And that means lead. You know why we don't want to lead? Because when you step out, you make yourself vulnerable. Another thing about the army, when they, especially, especially in World War II in Vietnam, they realized that in the advancement of sniper warfare, they look for officers. And so they stop wearing any kind of insignia that showed their rank. And they were told, never salute an officer while you're in the battle zone to protect those officers because they're out front. And if we see that, they see that. And if they see that, that's the target. I'm going to tell you, what we've got to realize, yes, you're going to be vulnerable. And yes, you're going to be the first one to come under attack. But you've got to remember whose kingdom you're fighting for. We will fight. We'll fight for Jesus. Let's, let's not forget. Can I re remind you and, and kind of get to the punchline? Usually we talk about fighting, 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 fighting. We're talking about a war that we hope and pray we'll win. Can I remind you the war's already been won? Jesus is not still on the cross. Jesus is not still in the tomb. We serve a risen Savior who is past the Lord. We don't have to fight that battle. He did. And he won. And so we're victorious in Christ. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. But now we look at the second man, Eleazar. 
Eleazar. It says in verse 12. And after him was Eleazar the son of Dodo. At the Ahuhite. Who was one of the three mighties. Now I probably didn't say that right. So just understand. That'll be alright. God knows who I'm talking about. Eleazar. I did say that one right. He was one of the three mighties. One of the three mighties. You ever done something that God wanted you to do? You were faithful and it was successful. You ever done that? You ever went and told somebody God loves them because God told you to tell them? Have you ever done that? You ever gone on a mission trip? Because God told you to go? Have you ever given a little extra because God said give it? God blessed you? That's wonderful. Praise God. But you know what? The, the danger is we start thinking it, it's about just us one. But we've got to remember we're just one of the body. One of the body. The finger doesn't run the body. Foot doesn't run the body. The arms, the legs, the torso, none of the digits runs the body. What runs the body? What runs the body? The head. Right? What, what's the point, and, and I won't bring up a bad subject, but you know there's a difference in being clinically dead and brain dead. There's a point where people have died and been resuscitated through CPR, through other things where they're shocked and given medicine. But there's no, in modern medicine, there's not one single case of someone who has been resuscitated from being brain dead. Here's the problem. Anything with two heads is a freak. You go to Ripley's to see snakes and cows and stuff that born with two heads. Well, I'm going to tell you, the problem is the world looks at the church as a freak because they hear us say Jesus is our head, but they watch us act like we are. We're just a body. As old timer told me one time, he said, get over here and do this. You are hired from the neck down. You ain't here to think. Well, you know what? We're not here to try to plan the future out. We're here to operate under the leadership of the head. He was just one of the three mighties, not the mighty. But notice what he did. It tells us over in 2 Samuel 23, gives us a, some clarity on Eleazar and his fight. First of all, he fought for the harvest. It said he was one of the three mighty men with David when he, they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. So they were left out here by themselves. Like I said, out front, alone, vulnerable. But he arose and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great 
victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Now something to understand. Eleazar stood in the midst of this field, a field of barley. And we see later on, Shema, they stood in a field of lentils, barley, place where the food would feed their families. They fought for the harvest. Eleazar stood. You said, what use is this? And there was much discussion, especially in Vietnam, about useless battles for ground that would be taken and given back. There's a lot of truth to that. And we ask ourselves, why go fight here and why go fight there? Many would look and say, why fight over this little barley field? They fought for the harvest. What's one person's life worth? What's a soul worth? Now let me put it real, real clear to you, okay? What's your eight-year-old granddaughter's life and soul worth? What's a 17-year-old black boy that you've never met whose pants is sagging, don't look like you, sound like you, or come from the same culture? Is his soul worth the same thing? Because there's some that say it's not. Is it or is it not? Did Jesus die for him like he did for your eight-year-old granddaughter? We ought to realize the love of Christ ought to be spent on fighting for the harvest. Because that's unpopular if you've not realized that. And it's not just the 17-year-old black boy. It's the 28-year-old East Indian that owns the convenience store that needs Jesus. It is the 22-year-old heroin-addicted college student who has dropped out, left their family, and don't know anybody that cares about them. We've got to fight for the harvest. We've got to fight through wild game suppers. We've got to fight through women's ministry. We've got to fight through our student ministry and children's ministry, through basketball, through Bible study, through vacation Bible school. Whatever it takes, we must fight for the harvest. Satan's not going to give you lost people without fighting you for it. He's not going to do it. If you think we're going to pray and just sit on our heels and go to church and sing some songs and come back next week and the place be filled with lost people, you are living in a pipe dream. It takes God's people by His authority to go into this world and tell them Jesus saves. If you're waiting for the preacher and the Sunday school teacher and the deacons to do it, You're missing your job to do what God's called you to do. Remember, he was one of the mighty, but he wasn't all of them. Do you realize, I don't care how old you are, if you're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're one of the mighty. You are a warrior for Christ. Cheer up. Be excited. 
God will give you victory. As Jim Caviezel said, we must be warriors ready to risk it all. Knowing that we've already been granted the victory over it all through Jesus Christ. Right? Like that famous young man that was the heir to the great company that his family could not understand that he left it all behind to go to seminary, to go to the mission field. And just a few short months leaving, he never really got to go on mission. That he got sick and died. They said, oh, what a waste, what he could have done. But they found in his diary these words. No retreat, no regrets. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God, but there is no armor for our backside. Because we serve a risen Savior who doesn't intend on us running. Because the victory is already set in front of us. He fought for the harvest. He fought for his family. He said, right here, he, he says, and the men of Israel were gone away. Do you ever feel like you've just been kind of left? I do. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm pulling the whole load. Sometimes I feel like, man, what, what in the world? Do you know what? He didn't look around and whine and complain and sit down. He kept fighting. And he fought for his family. Even the ones who had left, he fought for them. Look, even for the ones who are unchurched, who have named the name of Jesus Christ, but have fallen, we need to be fighting for them too. You can't just write off people. Jesus didn't write off people. He fought for his family and he fought. Notice this. He fought with all of his energy. How? He tells us right here that when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of God were gone away, he arose, smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. It literally was welded to the sword. What does that even mean? I've coached long enough to know that when you expend enough energy and that energy is not replaced and the body of all of its nutrients and minerals and, and fluids begin to cramp. Philip, I know you know this very well. I, I can remember... In construction, and we'd do all kinds of stuff, but we'd get on one job to where I'd have to finish sheetrock for a while. Well, I hadn't, you know, I didn't do it every single day, and so I had not built up. But, you know, it's one thing to, to pull a tape with a five inch knife or something, but then you start pulling an eight inch knife and a 10 and 12 inch knife, you're rolling the edges, and it's day in, day out, and you're pulling it, and after a while, you, your hand just kind of locks up on that thing. It's like, Soak your hand in something, and I mean, it just you, you know, if you've ever chopped wood or whatever that 
you get all cramped up. Look, he had spent all of his energy to fight for the Lord. Fight for the kingdom. His hand welded to the sword. He couldn't even put it down. They had to pry his hand off the sword. And yet we throw our sword down. And may I say, there's only one sword. And people can write all about the sword. People can explain the uses of the sword, how beautiful the sword is, and how sharp the sword is. But until we get back to using the sword, then we're just going at the battle with a butter knife or a switch. Fight with all your energy. I don't know about you, but I'm energized. Man, hearing Ryan sing this morning, just to be still, be still. And what does David say in that scripture? Be still and do what? To know. To know. To know what? To know that I'm not the Lord. He is. And the victory is mine because He is the victor. Be still. And then at the moment, as David was still and he waited and he said, God, when shall I go? He said, be still. I'll let you know. And when God blew through the tops of the mulberry trees, he said, now go, David, for the battle is mine. David waged a very victorious battle. He fought. Eleazar fought with all of his energy. And then Shema. God's glory. It says in verse 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel 23, And after him was Shema. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood, but he stood, oh, but my friends don't come, but he stood, oh, but, 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 but my family, they, they don't think, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. Can I tell you about Eleazar and Shema? They were willing to do maybe what others thought they couldn't and knew they wouldn't. But in the end, when the victory was theirs, they were not selfish with it, hoarded up, but opened it up, and all the people of Israel came back in and spoiled the land. Do you understand? Your fighting for the cause of Christ will shed blessings on your family, on your church, and on your land. Well, I, I don't think, I, I, I don't know that you understand how important you are. You may be Shema. You may be Eleazar. You may be Jessamine. You may be one of these. I know for a fact, if you're born again, you're one of God's mighty warriors. We talk about prayer warriors. Amen. What about evangelistic warriors? What about ministry warriors? What about singing warriors and preaching warriors and serving warriors? We are warriors for the cause of Christ. Shema defended what was the Lord's. There's a typo. For young people, that's cool. That's, you know, that's Twitter talk. 
My apologies. Anyway, it drives me crazy. But you, you know what? God just stares down at me and says, you're flawed. So all of you educators, I beg your leave. I will do my best not to do that again. I still love, totally off, off point here. Matt, I love the song we sing when we talk about the angles. Oh, we did change it. That's going to let me down. I look forward to, to singing with the angles. You know, we all have our faults. People love to talk about them. You know so-and-so, he's so ornery. You know, she's just kind of snooty. Well, he's just arrogant. Well, she don't want to talk to nobody. Well, she wants to always talk and have, have the preeminence over everybody. Well, he and she and they and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to tell you something. When we get to the point where we understand, hey, I am just one, but I am one that can be unified united in the cause of Christ, defending what is the Lord's. He fought. Why did he fight over a field of littles? Because it was God's land. Why should we support putting the embassy in Jerusalem? Because it's God's land. Why should we always back the nation of Israel? Because it's God's land that God gave to his people. Why should we pray and fight for our home? Because it's God's home. Why should we fight over the church of the living God at Eastside? Because it's God's church, not Matt's, not yours. Yeah, but I've been here a lot longer. I don't care. You will die and they'll plant you if the rapture doesn't take place. But even if it does, the rapture's going to take place and you're not going to be the one that calls them home because you're in the church. It's not yours. We make it up. It's God's church at Eastside. We ought to defend it. I've said this many times before. You should never, ever, 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 never, never entertain someone talking bad about your church. Never. You know what? The things that they say may be true. They may talk about this one at this and this one did that and this one said, you know what? They're just deferring attention away from what they're trying to hide. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They're trying to draw your attention to one little thing. But the truth is, we all fail the grace of God. We ought to defend what is the Lord's. And notice what happened. He defeated what was it. If it's not of God, fight it. Fight it with all your might, hands welded to the sword. Fight united. Fight till there's no fight left in you. Fight for your family. Fight for your home. Fight for the harvest. Fight in unusual ways. Fight when it's unpopular. We will fight. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, now this sounds like it was written this week. But it was written close to 200 years ago. From a man that stood in the pulpit at Metropolitan Tabernacle in a land that's more dominated by Muslims than a Christian influence. Stated, the current age is so flippant 
If a man loves the Savior, he's a fanatic. If he hates the powers of evil, he's a bigot. Does that sound familiar? As they come to the instruments. Today, audience of one. Not looking around. You know, you see on the TV shows or movie when they're all out there and, and, and all the, the military, you know, the underlings, the, the enlisted guys, they're all standing there and their officer walks by and says, I need some volunteers. They just want to meld and, well, and, and disappear into the category, into the whole group. They just want to kind of disappear. Today, you know, because nobody can see your heart. And you're praying it don't show on your face, but God's calling you to the battle. He wants you to fight for your family. He wants you to fight for your church. He wants you to fight for the harvest. That we would see lost people coming down this altar professing our, uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior. To see that baptismal water stirred all the time. To see the church of the living God grow. But you're going to have to be willing to fight. To give up some things. Look, they had to give up their own personal security. They had to get outside their comfort zone. They had to get back to being faithful and serving and praying and be what God's called them to be. Today, if you're willing and you understand it's worth it, then come and say, God, make me your warrior. I pray with your strength. We will fight. We will fight the darkness. We will fight against all evil and having done all to stand. Stand and come. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Let Him be the Lord of your life. Turn it over and say, yes, Lord. Yes, come. Come to Him. Satan wants your family. You just going to sit around and let Him take it? <laughs>